When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great to have you in on a Friday at Tale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and you, thanks for spending time, can join us today on Hale Varsity Radio at 466-3776-800-825-5865. Toll free for you around the Hale Varsity Radio Network and find us on Twitter and watch the show as well on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, ESPN Lincoln Facebook and Twitter, and uh, follow the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter handle as well at HVarsity Radio. Uh, can email the show Chris at HaleVarsity.com in the morning. Of course, Damon and Andrew take care of you seven to nine with coffee and cream. You can watch that on the Hale Varsity Twitter handle and YouTube channel and catch us, of course, 4 to 6. Well, should be an all right weekend. Nebraska and Penn State Sunday for basketball. Uh, Elijah's all geared up for flag football and the uh, what used to be the Pro Bowl. And 50-degree temperatures this weekend. Yeah, oh. I'm going to get the grill dusted off, I think. That's Same. the plan anyway. And uh, we'll just gear up. Uh, a lot of football to cover next week. Uh, some special guests lined up for uh, Huskers and the Super Bowl. Today, we'll spend time with Jacob Padilla, get his uh, week that's been in the world of high school basketball, Omaha, Lincoln, surrounding areas, and, of course, his take on that, Nebraska basketball, some touches on recruiting, of course, with Jacob, and uh, we'll get there in about 20 minutes with him. Some thoughts from Fred Hoiberg, uh, a win that Nebraska needs on Sunday. Bill Dolman with us, NBC Sports, the pride of Fairbury and NBC Sports, and uh, the professor. In one hour, Brady Altman's joins us in hour two. And then Burke's Best Bets. Daddy will have some early looks at some of the Super Bowl prop bets. So the table set for you there. Going to start off today, and it seems like every Friday the last month we've done a Dylan Riola Friday. We were fortunate enough to spend time with Mitch Sherman earlier this week. He's a regular Tuesday guest for us. And his story about his trip to Arizona uh, came out today on The Athletic. And really insightful, just a, a really wonderfully well-done story by Mitch is, is he caught up with several folks. I, I ask you to go check that out. And uh, that is uh, from uh, the mom and dad, uh, Riola, of course. And then uh, you got Drew Stanton, the quarterback tutor, and some other folks that are kind of in that Riola orbit, uh, as well as just what 
what's the not necessarily the timeline it's hard to to read into that other than when some some spring visits are scheduled but just really good insight to life as dylan riola what what he's gone through what they thought he was going to do i mean riolas are a family alignment when you look at donnie and dominic and just what was going on in hawaii with the the Krutz family olin Krutz was a stud center for washington but part of hawaii and uh, nebraska got out there and got dominic recruited and of course he was incredible here in lincoln and you're you've been a center for 14 years and you have a couple of quarterbacks uh, that that are are really uh, super talented. Uh, Dylan's little brother uh, is is already uh, kind of shot up from a, a height and, and strength standpoint. So pretty fascinating read and a good read into just how the race is. Uh, the patience that the, the family is going to use when it comes to making the decision and just who's sticking out. I mean, Georgia was on it early, right? I mean, there seems to be a good connection and relationship with Kirby and and uh, the Riolas from the get-go because they were the first to offer it at an, an early camp. But then you have USC in the picture with Lincoln Riley and his connection. And then, of course, you have Nebraska going full tilt on, on the Riola push. And Nebraska's stuck out not only because of the family connection, but also Elijah They've stuck out just because of the pursuit. It's not that SC and Georgia and Oregon haven't kept recruiting Riola and, and Michigan either, but you have Nebraska that I don't want to say was late to the scene, but it's a new scene with Matt Rule. Yeah, I mean, think about the the likes of of Georgia and USC and, and Oregon, the type of guys they recruit. You know, whenever you think of their programs, right? Whenever you're going after 12 other five star kids in the class of 2024, I I think I understand that that pursuit angle from Nebraska where, you know what, Nebraska's got their one guy they locked in on. And not say they're not looking at other high level athletes, but Dylan Royola is clear priority number one. And whenever you're Georgia, you know what, you can say, You're a priority, but we have have other five stars that we'll go get. And it's, yeah, it's, it's your priority, but if. If the number one quarterback in the country says no, we'll get the number eight quarterback in the country. It's okay. Or it's, number two. Or, yeah, whatever you want to do. Like, that, that, that's what I'm saying. And when you look at, I don't want to call it desperation from Nebraska, but just that that clear agenda that you're our number one guy, it's got to make you feel good whenever that's the school you you pretty much grew up rooting for. Mm-hmm. And and I, I did wonder with this article, I, I wonder if, if uh, Dylan and, and Dayton got their start playing quarterback because... Dom needed somebody to snap it to in the offseason in the backyard. He's bored. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, I need to get Sean my... line up. We're going to work on third and eight shotgun snaps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while you're at it, give me a three-step drop while you're back there. <laughs> well, some of the things that stick out, and in, in not, I'm not going to lay out the whole article for you, but you know, Drew Stanton, the guy that played a long time in, in, in the NFL, Michigan State guy, and he's kind of a mentor, kind of a quarterback coach, tutor. Uh, yeah, you have that aspect, and and he's making the projections that just from a, a physical uh, the physical traits uh, equal being an elite quarterback, the the talent, the arm talent at a high level as he's going into his senior year, Elijah. But also, you you can have all the arm talent in the world, and you can be a guy that can be an athlete and make plays. But really, when we talk about quarterbacks in that freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school, what stands out? What separates? Yeah, you got to be able to make, air quote, all the throws. 
But what's your processing like? And we've heard the term quick blinker, right? We've heard that for years, but it's true in processing. Can you, first and foremost, get your offense into a good play? Can you uh, take care of the football? Can you avoid making mistakes? And then when you see a coverage, what's the matchup? What's the advantage? What's the defense giving you? Can you connect? Can you execute? And is your mind quick enough to work? Can your mind tell the body to go make the play and, and then go do it? And so far, so good. But just reading into some of the quotes, um, you know, on Lincoln Riley, uh, a really special guy to me, track record with quarterbacks is amazing. That's pretty high praise, and it's it's well-earned, right? It's earned from Lincoln Riley with what he did at Oklahoma. And, and then despite his departure, how it's rubbed many down in red dirt country wrong, uh, things look all right. He put a really good class together at USC. Now, how do they transition to the Big Tens? The big question. It, it, listen, if 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 for whatever reason, you know, if if I'm putting myself in the shoes of parent with major talent that's being recruited, and you know, I don't know. Junior's going to go to college. I'm proud of him for that. I don't know where Junior's baseball career is going to take him. I know he's working hard at it, but. It is important. It is important to know, is Lincoln Riley going to be at USC in five years? And with his paycheck, he should be. He should want to be. But I think it's very real that a number of these college football coaches, if the right opportunity happens, Ryan Day will go to the NFL. The right opportunity happens, Lincoln Riley was sure as hell jumped to the NFL. Mm -hmm. Just because of the... And this is the term it comes to me as the the headache that college football has become for college coaches, the headache with NIL, the headache with year year round recruiting, right? The headache with the transfer portal. You're a really good coach and coaches right now have to re-recruit their roster, period, because it's. It's too easy to leave. Well, I mean, look at the the stat we talked about yesterday, over 70 percent of top quarterback recruits in the country end up transferring, at least based on the stat numbers we've seen over the past couple of years. And could that level out as we get more adjusted to the transfer portal? Maybe, but that's what we're at right now. Is, is if you have a, a top 100 quarterback on your roster, there's a 70% chance before the end of his four years he will transfer. Well, and you look at the back to Max Olsen story, you look at the number of quarterbacks, eight of the 31 top players were, were 31 of the top 100 were quarterbacks mm-hmm. okay in that span of 2017 through 2020 and of that uh, eight of them ended up staying and two of them became all conference everyone else t- took off of the of the 31 eight stayed to all conference and the rest of them have been serviceable been pretty good but do you get a kid long enough to make him be a difference maker, assuming you don't hit that he's Trevor Lawrence and he's away you go six games in and starting as a true freshman. I mean, Ohio State's run of quarterbacks, majority of those kids, they at least had a redshirt freshman year. They redshirted that freshman year, and then by their true by year two, their redshirt freshman season, they came in, won the job. And off they went. They had a lot of help and talent around them because these schools that have been playing guys uh, young at quarterback do pretty well. But the transfer market, the 
secondary market has been huge. Look at Hendon Hooker. Hmm. I mean, look at him. Look at Rattler. Look at Williams. I mean, Caleb Williams is doing fine in Oklahoma, but he blew up at SC, for God's sake. was great. I mean, he had great talent around him. Hooker had a pretty elite talent around him, too, but he was a he was a difference maker this year for Tennessee. Or, or the ultimate transfer quarterback, Joe Burrow. Sure. I mean, you can just keep on listening. Doesn't it just names. make you pull your hair out? How the hell did Ohio State not keep him? And I know that he got hurt during spring, and he, it was a grad transfer. It wasn't just a transfer transfer deal. He had put three and a half years in. Now, he got beat out, air quote, by a first-rounder. But Joe Burrow's incredible. I mean, Ohio State probably goes further with him at quarterback if you want to do revisionist history. So if I'm a head football coach, I'm absolutely going after because my mantra is we are going to build through high school and not portal. That said, you've got two portal quarterbacks for Nebraska right now that are going to give you a good chance to win differently. Pocket guy versus a dual threat, Sims and Casey Thompson. Uh, Nebraska right now, you want to win the recruiting battle, yes. From a PR standpoint, you want to get in and prove and show other future recruits, come here, I'll get you right. Uh, You'll do fine off the field. You'll do great on the field. We'll win together. High school-wise, yes, you want to do that. You don't want to be reliant on transfers. But the reality is you're almost better off getting a guy the second time around. That's where more of these quarterbacks and schools have hit it big. Very rarely do you have the Trevor Lawrence situation where he's there for three years as a true freshman starter, again, six games in, similar to the Tommy Frazier situation. But for the most part, man, you've had guys that you pick up in the portal or they transfer, LSU, Joe Burrow, um, the 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 Clifford kid at, at Penn State is a rarity. I mean, he was there for about three years. They won a lot of ball games with him. But look at some of the top quarterback recruits in the conference over the past five years. Graham Mertz at Wisconsin was a huge steal, and now he's into the transfer portal, headed somewhere else. Uh, you have Mertz uh, ended, did was was Mertz the kid that ended up at Notre Dame? Yeah, he ended up going to Notre Dame. He had a great year his senior year at Notre Dame. Could never really get over. Excuse me, get over that hump in Wisconsin because he got replaced by a younger quarterback. And, then, and that quarterback was kind of god-awful, except against Nebraska. I mean, but then, I mean look, you got uh, Tangavailoa at Maryland. He, he's a transfer from Alabama. Alabama. You have... Uh, Bama's the only place that didn't lose. I mean, McNamara, McNamara is a high-level quarterback, and now he's off to Iowa. Like, uh-huh. When you look at the conference, C.J. Stroud's about the only guy who is stuck in state mm-hmm. at his program everyone else i mean you mentioned sean clifford too but he's the rarity i mean everyone else is a transfer from somewhere casey thompson nebraska transfer jeff sims in nebraska transfer like aiden o'connell was a, was a walk-on yeah okay so he's he's different as well but yeah you're uh you're, you're gonna a lot of times you're not guaranteed you might have a good season but i mean mcnamara <laughs> i mean dude got replaced uh, Jalen Hurts got replaced. Mm. It's it's nuts. Just because you have a good year doesn't mean you're you're guaranteed to, to keep the job because you want to keep the 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 kid the, the next stud. You want to give him some time. That could be a little disconcerting if you're uh, somebody. Now, not everyone handles it as classily as Jalen Hurts did. Um, so uh, interesting. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Maybe you don't win the the. The battle, per se, if you're Nebraska for, for Dylan Raiola. But just the way quarterbacks go, 
specifically, you can win the war. Get them uh, with uh, a bit of an edge, a chip on their shoulder, and a new area code. I don't know that that happens with Raiola. I don't know that that happens with the other five-star quarterbacks for the upcoming class of 2023. But history has said the last five, six years of quarterbacks that have been elite, uh, they don't stay where they start. And I think you should also add that the the scouting reports out there in Royal and and my own personal eye test tells me that's a guy who's going to come in and start his freshman season. Just from from the the pure talent, arm talent the guy has, physical talent. He's got a a mind for the game. He does not strike you as the type of guy that's going to come in. If he does, you better go win nine or ten games with a quarterback that beat him out. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's kind of obvious. We'll check in with Jacob Padilla. Good to be with you on a Friday. Hail Varsity, uh, presented by Currency. Get some thoughts from Jacob Padilla on uh, Nebraska recruiting and some hoops. That's on the way. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. I don't know how you finished your week off, but... Machacek just cranked out 31 reps of 225. Uh, that's Elijah Herbal type numbers. I have no, 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 no. I, I think I got 10, maybe. Okay. 10, 10. I think, yeah, 10, I think 10 was probably the best I ever did. Uh, I am not going to even lie to the world and say, yeah, I got two. Um, Jake, uh, Jacob Padilla is with us. Jacob, how much can you bench? Let's just go there. Let's make it that tough. <laughs> that's one of those. Jacob's just going to hold up his left hand and say, I'm injured. Take off. Uh, yeah, just uh, it's better now. Cleared, uh, yeah, just got cleared to start playing basketball again, but uh, did not get cleared to lift heavy weights yet. So <laughs> let's just go with that. Yeah, no weight training. I love it. I love it. That's pretty good. Jacob, we'll stay with football for a moment before we get to hoops. And uh, Coach uh, Rule finished up with the 2023 class and. We'll talk to Brady Altman's in a, in a little bit, but I want to get your take, Jacob, on, I guess, freshman impact. Not necessarily portal, but freshman impact. And are you just like, you know, talk to me after the spring game? <laughs> Is that the thought bubble right now? Or do you think there's any freshman, I guess, you're intrigued by that, that could work? Or let me put it this way. Uh, do you think there's some position switches with some of the kids coming in? Uh, because there's there's a lot of opportunity offensive defensive line with some of the the in-state kids that that rule brought in and of course malachi coleman uh what what he can do offensively and defensively yeah um i i don't i think the wait until spring game certainly to kind of see how the roster shakes out uh because right now that over 100 uh scholarship caliber players at mm-hmm. least will go with um, and the limit's obviously 85, so we'll see how many of these guys are still on the, the roster once we get through the spring, once the transfer portal opens back up and guys have had a chance to kind of feel feel things out, see where they are on the depth chart and decide what they want to do moving forward. Um, I, 
I think you hit on a good one. Uh, defensive line there, edge guys, kind of just with where they are there. A guy like uh, Maverick Noonan, I think, is a guy that kind of like a Garrett Nelson can, can earn his way onto the field. Maybe not necessarily a, a big role early on, but just with how hard he goes um, with some of his natural ability. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see him out there getting a few reps here and there. At the very least, mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll see him play the four games um, to maintain the red shirt. I, I do think we will see him year one, which probably won't be the case for a lot of the freshmen um, with kind of, uh, obviously they added 11 transfers as well. You got a lot of guys coming back, um, bodies, if not necessarily a ton of proven contributors at every position. There might be a few spots here or there where some younger guys can can, can push through, but I don't know that I'd ever go in expecting true freshmen, especially with how many of these guys are kind of like developmental prospects mm-hmm. more so than um, like four-star ready-made guys. We know that those are the kind of the guys that, that uh, Matt Rule and his staff gravitate towards, guys that maybe have the, the measurables that maybe they aren't uh, great football players right now, but they've got the basis to become ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't know that we'll see a ton of, early impact. I think it is a little different than what he inherited at Baylor, where basically the whole roster got gutted and he had to play guys or freshmen early on. There are upperclassmen here. They've got enough coming back to where I don't think he's going to be forced to play those guys. Uh, and now it's a matter of the, the, the guys that have been here or that are coming from other programs to kind of hold off those young guys and show, Hey, um, you, you can uh, roll with, with us in these roles. Jacob Bedell's with us here. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And Jacob, how much do you think the spring is going to factor in with these young guys? We, we know how important it's going to be for the, these position battles with Nebraska being, quote-unquote, over the scholarship limit. You understand how important spring ball is going to be for that, but how important do you think it's going to be for some of these incoming freshmen to, to, to make a mark early and, and kind of give the coaches an early indication that, you know what, I'm going to be ready for some snaps this fall? I think it's most important to the coaching staff in general. Um, you can only learn so much about players through tape study and just being around them. You got to see them out there in real football settings. And this coaching staff with the guys coming back with the guys that they just signed, they won't, they won't get to do that until the spring, at least for the early enrollees. Um, So yeah, it'll be big for those freshmen to kind of, I mean, that's kind of why we're seeing so many kids enroll early is to get that, that spring under their belt. So they have a better, better kind of they're, they're more settled they, they've kind of gotten used to the the, the college life thing um uh, they've gotten kind of the adjustment out of the way early on they've learned what it's like to to, to to lift in a strength in a college strength and conditioning program so that once they hit the the, the summer they're used to everything and they, they can just kind of focus on getting better and, and earning roles um so that's big for every freshman the, the difference here is the coaches are also trying to learn about all the guys that are coming back, they hadn't coached previously in addition to learning what they have with the freshmen. So I, I think uh, looking at the spring, it's more important for, for the coaches than any individual part of the roster or players or anybody, obviously again, spots are up for grabs at every single position, but uh, the coaches have to figure out, all right, who are those best guys? Who, what do we have that we like? What do we have that maybe we need some of the young guys or the newcomers to, to push these guys and jump ahead of them maybe, or force them to, to up their game in order to hold those spots. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to get done this spring with with where the roster is now. Jacob Padilla joining us from HaleVarsity.com and magazine at Jacob Padilla underscore. Jacob, the basketball, big one Sunday for Nebraska basketball. 
um, a a more favorable setup. Penn State's good, not great. Nebraska hung in with them not long ago out in Happy Valley. Nebraska coming back home from a kind of a, an extended road trip. They had moments of competitiveness at Maryland. Turnover's the issue. Same way for the game against Illinois where they didn't score down the stretch. They were right there in it. But, man, and, and I know you asked Fred about the, the turnover situation and the cause of the turnovers. Are you surprised that, that some of the, the older guys are the ones making the mistakes? I guess not necessarily surprise. Uh, it definitely, uh, they have to get better. Like, especially like the, both what Derek and Fred were talking about today, just the, the kind of unforced stuff, the sloppy stuff. Um, to a certain extent, when you're like, they, they really have to work hard uh, to, to create offensive opportunities. Um, and you've got freshmen stepping up into expanded roles. So with that will come some turnovers. Uh, and that type of thing, but you can't have the, 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 the double dribble and transition, the, the, the travel on the half court. That's not even forced. Um, the, the, the kind of one handed lazy passes versus making the fundamental play there, like that type of stuff. You have to clean that stuff up. Like sometimes the other team's going to force turnovers and you just have to try to limit those live ball ones in particular as much as you can. They're also creating uh, committing so many unforced turnovers at this point that it's just uh, not allowing them to even compete. We're just seeing them lose the possession battle game after game because you look at it all season long, one of their biggest problems has been they can't hit threes. Well, uh, in the last three games, they've shot the three ball well, but the other team is getting more shots because of all the turnovers. They're, not only are they getting more shots, they're getting transition opportunities. They're getting uh, two-on-one fast breaks. They're getting breakaways, those type of things that put points directly on the board that there's nothing really you can do about defensively. Uh, so they're just fighting such an uphill, uphill battle because of that. So the, the good news is Penn State uh, does not force a, a lot of turnovers. They are 354th in the country in opponent turnover percentage. Uh, so if there is a team, if, if they come out and commit 15-plus turnovers in this game, then there's a serious problem, especially with the, the emphasis they put on it recently. This is a game where... They should be able to slow down, execute their stuff, and hopefully find a way to get good shots up. Penn State's defense is pretty good at contesting shots and forcing misses and that type of thing, but they're not the pressure, forced turnovers uh, type of defense that we've seen give Nebraska so many problems this season. So this is a chance to, all right, settle down, reset, focus on what we're doing well, really lock in, be better focused, and um, give yourself a chance to compete by possessing the ball. Jacob, a, a common sentiment that I've seen and, and heard is that this team right now, it kind of feels like it's relapsed back into some problems that it faced over the first three years of, of Fred Hoiberg's uh, era at Nebraska. And I want to get your take on that. Is that a fair evaluation? Because some of the things that you just said kind of feel like some of the same things we've been talking about for a couple of years now. Turnovers, rebounding, uh, just really not playing the, the same kind of fundamentals uh, that you, you need to win in the Big Ten. So is that a, a fair assessment on your part or you think it's off? I, I think the biggest problem right now is just talent. Um, again, some of this stuff is they're, they're having to try so hard to up to offset that, that lack of talent, um, that they're just playing better teams. And that's what we're seeing, I think, uh, more so than them not necessarily doing the right things. Like, um, like Derek Walker's not, like, not failing to buy in or, like, they're not 
trying on defense. Um, like the, they're not necessarily executing at the same rate, but I don't think it's for maybe the same reasons we've seen in the past. I think at this point, just with where the roster is, um, they, they, they've just lost too much talent. They, they weren't that talented to begin with. And you lose two of your starters. Now you've got freshmen that are playing a lot more than maybe you wanted them to this year um, in, in bigger roles. And that puts so much stress on your more experienced guys where Derek Walker has to do so much. Sam Griesel has to do so much that, uh, especially as teams realize that and focus their defense on them, now it becomes even harder, and that's where some of these turnovers come from, uh, and that's how you maybe get sped up, thinking like, all right, i got to make a play here, and you try to do too much uh, and get yourself into trouble. So that's kind of, I think right now, most of the problems are stemming from they're just not talented enough, everything is so hard, the margin for error is so slim, um, that it's kind of just exacerbating whatever problems they may have. Jacob, we'll get to high school here about a minute before we got to take a hard break. Uh, Big Ten, is Purdue going to go down? Indiana gets to host them tomorrow. That, that, that'll be really fun with the way that uh, Indiana's been playing yeah. lately um, with, with Trace Jackson Davis right there. Um, like if there's... If Trace Jackson Davis is going to have any chance at making it a competition for player of the year, he's got to come out and dominate this matchup. Obviously, they're coming off the, the loss to, to Maryland after winning, what, five in a row? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's – they get him – yeah, they get Purdue there uh, in Bloomington. I, uh, Kempom's got Purdue favored by two, uh, but that that's the game that could go either way. So, uh, ho- hopefully, it'll be a fun one. Um not that fun if, if Purdue just kind of runs away with things. Uh, I, I'd be okay with uh, making a little bit more of a competitive race down the stretch. And again, just two of the best players in the, the conference going head-to-head. Similar kind of production, but very different styles, mm-hmm. very different body types. Uh, but they, they both are the, the focal points of their team and probably the two best players in the conference. Jacob, hang tight. We'll get your prep uh, weekend preview here in a moment. Thanks for spending time. More with Jacob Badillahale Varsity continues. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Jacob Padilla for hanging out, going a little OT with us here. Pretty good weekend of hoops. I have not had basketball this week, so I'll have three games next week, Jacob. But uh, Motsi has Southwest Northeast here locally tonight. I know it's a busy night in, in the Metro as well. And uh, I'll have Southeast and uh, Millard North Tuesday of, of next week, which will be big time. And Southeast has cranked out their seventh in a row. Uh, observations from the week that's been. And, and what are you looking at this weekend? Yeah. Um, mentioned Southwest, obviously. <laughs> Down, down a couple of players. Uh, Westside bounced back big time on Tuesday to to beat them. 
um, West Side, a team that had been struggling, and now Southwest is kind of in their own rut. We'll see if they can uh, get out of that uh, shorthanded against Northeast. I think, uh, the, obviously, the, the big game tonight is prep at Bellevue West uh, in the Metro rematch of the Metro final there. Um, I mean, I think you still you got to have Bellevue West as kind of the, the favorite there, but we'll get to see, we'll see if uh, Prep kind of learned anything for, from that first matchup uh, where they were in it in the first half uh, and just couldn't sustain it for for the full 32. Um, but uh, outside the Metro, a big one tonight I think is Crete at Wahoo. Um, it's kind of an interesting matchup there. Crete right up there, top three, four, and B, and Wahoo right up there near the top of C1. Um, coming off the big win over Platteview in th- their conference tournament. Um, so uh, th- th- that's a big one tonight. Uh, and then tomorrow, there, there's some good matchups uh, as well. Most of them uh, later in the night. Southeast at prep, I think, is a really interesting one considering the, the run that Southeast has been on mm-hmm. recently, ha- how hot they've been. Obviously, they were at the tail end of, of all the Lincoln schools, and now they're risen right up uh, near the top of them. Um, so, so that'll be a big one. And then Pius will get it shot at, at Belle West uh, on Saturday night as well. So those are few of the, uh, the big ones this weekend on tap. Jacob, as you look ahead at Bellevue West schedule, they're still undefeated this year, They but they have uh, Prep, Pius, Lincoln Southeast, uh, Millard North, and Omaha West Side all remaining it's on their close. schedule. <laughs> I mean, That's they, a close. They have uh, Bellevue East in there as well, and they have a uh, an out-of-state matchup against a team from yeah. Maryland. Uh, so that'll be interesting. But as you look at that schedule as it stands right now, do you see them falling in the regular season, or, or do you think that that – chance at a perfect season is still up there for Bellevue West. I think it's going to be tough for anybody in the state to beat them at this point. Uh, that Watch out next Saturday. I'll be there. Um, just got it cleared. Um, shout out to Drake Keeler is going to cover the Nebraska at Wisconsin game for me next Saturday so I can go spend uh, all day in Grand Island for the Heartland Hoops Classic. Uh, and Bell West will take on Bishop Walsh out of Maryland there. Um, that's uh, it's going to be a tough team. So uh, that if they're going to go down, that would probably be it. Uh, if they get through that, obviously, they, like you said, there's some, some big matchups down the stretch there. But they've kind of taken care of business in every big matchup so far. Uh, they've already beat number two. They beat basically everybody by double digits they played. Just beat Sioux City, an undefeated Sioux City East team pretty handily on, on Tuesday. Um, so, Bell West right now, they just look like – and the thing is they've been winning when they haven't even been playing great offensively. Like, they, they found a way to, to win decisively when they're not playing their best basketball. And that's the mark of a truly great team um, and a team that's on a separate tier from kind of everybody they're playing where you catch them on an off day and you still can't, can't keep up with them. Um, so, it, I mean, everybody's capable of having an off night. It just takes one, one bad day, a team shooting lights out uh, uncharacteristically. Uh, Bell West, not shot, shots don't fall for them for it to happen, but they're definitely, I think, the heavy favorite to sweep Nebraska – uh, at least in the regular season. But again, next Saturday, that, I, I have not seen, uh, and I, I don't know anything about Bishop Walsh, but I, I know Tino only brings in really good teams from out of state for this event. So that'll be a real test. Jacob, enjoy your coverage as always, bud. And thanks for spending time with us to talk uh, basketball and some football. Have a good weekend and we'll check in next week. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. There he is. Jacob Badilla with us from HaleVarsity.com and magazine at Jacob Padilla underscore. And uh, let's hear a little bit from Fred. We'll get back to some football thoughts. Bill Dolman's about 20 minutes away. Brady Altman's and Danny Burke next hour. Can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. But uh, Fred kicked off the presser 
and uh, was kind of focused on Penn State, but he laid out some of his frustrations, and, and Jacob echoed it where, listen, uh, Nebraska's been, been hurting Nebraska. Uh, they aren't as talented as some of the opponents they're facing, yes, but you don't need, you don't need to give any help. And, and Nebraska's, well, been handing out a lot of turnovers, but here's Fred from this morning. You know, big thing for us, we have to get off to a good start. We have to start valuing possessions, taking care of the basketball, and we're just shooting ourselves in the foot right now. In the last two games, we had 19 turnovers against Maryland, and we had 15 at Illinois and still had a chance. We had a lead with 11 minutes left in that game at Illinois, even though we turned it over for the first five possessions in that second half. So uh, that's what it's going to come down to is valuing possessions, taking care of the ball, rebounding. We have to rebound better. Uh, we've been a little more when we get shots on the rim. We've been more efficient lately. I think three of our last four halves, uh, we were over 50%. We were 50, almost 58% in the second half at Maryland. And just, again, it's about valuing the basketball. We need spirited contests on their shooters all over the floor. But they, uh, they're playing really good basketball. And, you know, don't take that game at Purdue. They do that to a lot of teams in there. They're, they're a team that's, uh, again, playing with a lot of confidence. And, and, and uh, Mike is doing a heck of a job with that group. Fred went on to, and Jacob asked him this, what, what the heck's causing all the turnovers? The, the, the ones in the last one really bothered, the second half ones really bothered me. You know, we came out, we had, it was two one-hand passes that just are, those are careless. You can't do that, especially on the road when you give a team that many extra possessions. We had a charge, we had a travel, we had a double dribble in that stretch. And you just, you got to find a way to go out there and get shots up on the board. When you shoot 50% and you turn the ball over 10 times, you get five extra bullets out there to get uh, get uh, uh, shots on the on the board. If you shoot 50%, you know, you're looking at another, you know, eight to 10 points, uh, depending on two or three. So you just, you got to find a way, uh, we got to find a way to do better. The, 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 the unforced ones are the ones that kill you. And they lead to runouts, they lead to transition. That, that was the problem in Maryland. They scored 20 points off of our turnovers and get 22 in transition, and they are as good as any team in the country as far as converting off turnovers. So when you give a team pick sixes, it's just it's it, it's too hard to overcome, and it leads to confidence. It makes the threes a lot easier when you're getting layups in transition, and we we have to we have to be better in that area. And- so that was Fred, and can can Derek Walker get back? 16 turnovers the last three games for D Dub. We're a little out of time for that one. I, all right. Other side, we'll hear Fred's take on Derek. Derek just looks frustrated, mm, yes. and and he should be pissed with the amount of whistles going against him. Now, what do you do about it? You just got to adapt and keep on grinding because he's been a heck of a grinder well, his whole career here. And I think it also comes from the, the fact that he looks like a guy who feels like he is shouldering a lot of pressure for this team right now, knowing, you know, we're down a lot of talent. I got to be the guy. He, he looks like a guy who's playing under that pressure. Sure. No, I mean, he, he's got big old shoulders and there's already been a lot on him this year. I mean, he's got rebounding now. He's the best offensive scoring option. And he's a creator. Yeah. I mean, he's he takes it top of the key and People have adjusted to him off the dribble. His passing from the high post has been great. Oh, he's still awesome. I mean, I I love watching him. It is as bad as this team is. It's, it's shooting. They're not that horrible to watch on offense because of all the back cuts they do and how good a passer he is. I mean, it's it's watchable basketball. The shooting just gets in the way a lot of times. Uh, hour one winding down next. 
with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, Bill Dolman with us in about 10 minutes. Get his take on the state of Nebraska. And also remind you about the podcast, Hail Varsity Radio. Take us with the full show or the segments you want to hear. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Get that downloaded. Get that subscription. Doesn't cost you anything. And tell a, a friend about us and give us a review. We're happy to take those. You can also watch the full show, the Hail Varsity YouTube channel. Get a subscription to that. All the best post uh, press conference, post game, pre game. All the analysis with the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Get your seatbelt on, hands on the wheel, eyes and mind. Straight ahead, the driver has one job. That's to drive a message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. All right, we meant to sneak this in before we uh, checked out last segment. Do we have time now, good sir, in flannel? That we do. Let me- All right, Derek. getting Derek Walker back, what can he do against Penn State? What can he uh, help on do on the offensive end? What can he distribute? How can he play make? Can he take care of the basketball? He's feeling the heat a little bit, and he wants to get kind of back to his old self. With Derek, he's got 16 turnovers his last three games. Is that a product of just the lack of depth in the backcourt where you're having to run so much through him and just by the sheer volume in which he has the ball, he's I, I don't think so, Robin. I, you know, a big part of that is I mean, we've been playing through Derek all year. It's not something new that we've been doing with him. And, you know, we trust Derek with the ball in his hands. I think his assisted turnover went negative, uh, you know, these last two games. So he's just got to get back. I mean, you know, Derek, listen, he's got a gift of making plays in a crowd. But we got to we got to that was that's another theme. You know, the, the one handed passes are inexcusable. But the second half, we got a little sped up. You know, we got a lot of young guys out there in new positions. So you probably expect some of that out of the young guys. We just can't have it out of our older guys. And, uh, you know, again, we trust Eric. Obviously, we have the ball in his hands a lot, but we played way too much in a crowd in the second half. First half, we were, I thought, very good. When you go back and watch, we had great movement. And we got the ball to the right guy, and we made simple plays, and we got good quality looks at the basket. And, you know, second half, obviously, that reversed. And we had six turnovers at halftime. Um, you know, pretty good for us right now. And then we had nine in the second to, to get that number to 15. And again, that's what Illinois does. That's what they thrive off of. Uh, but we got to be better moving forward. And we're going to continue to play through Derek. Uh, you know, we feel great when the ball's in his hands. We just got to, again, space the floor properly and give him, give him good proper outlets when he's making plays. Well, well said by Fred. And it's knowing what they got to do, but can they do it? There's just, I don't want to say trust, but it just was lackadaisical. And that's so unlike him with Derek Walker and just some of the passes he's making. Uh, but it's, it's all kind of compounding 
with the whistles, with the pressure, the the losing streak they're in, the frustration, and then, all right, who's going to help step up? Who's going to help carry the load? He had a great first half from Greasel. He was he was nails in that first half and kind of set the tone. I do like the younger guys. I think they're coming along. But Nebraska, uh, they'll keep fighting. Is it going to pay off finally for them on Sunday? A payoff, I assume you mean a win. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's as good a shot as, as any uh, on the docket. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone, you're not customer-facing, it's casual dress, and the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at fscedge.com. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hour 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Current. See for all your equipment financing needs. Go currency. I, I just did a double check. That that stash is coming in. I mean, it's it's always like gonna be there, but it, it looks thick. And we've been watering the thing. I mean, I'm proud of you. It looks good. Thank you. It's it's just been you know a lot of hard you work. Some prednisone. No, no, no. no there's, there's no there's no performance enhancing drugs here whatsoever. That's okay. It's, my... it's, it's strictly just my own personal hair growth. I've been I've been trying to trim it and keep it looking nice and. We're getting to the length where I think I can maybe start curling on the end again. Don't do that. <laughs> My God, Bill Dolman with us. Pride of Fairbury, NBC Sports, the professor, uh, is uh, joining us at Bill Dolman on Twitter. Billy D, you never had a mustache phase, did you? Uh, no, I went through a beard phase a, a couple of years ago, but I, I'm very, very impressed, Chris, with your observational skills, given the fact that you see the dude every day. You're looking across the table through the uh, uh, the window at him every day, and now you're just noti- noticing that the uh, the stash is coming in. So very keen no, observation. It's, it's just, nice. No, it, nice. it's thicker than it's been is the point. I, would, I just want to say, I just want to respond. It just didn't happen during the break. I know it's five minutes, but come on. <laughs> well, I just kind of, he's, he's bouncing around back there to the intro. I'm like, 
Dude, he's going Freddie Mercury back there. I mean, with the with the with, with, with the, the thick stash. I'm proud of it. No, we don't need. To I do. would I would like to to let you know though. You you asked Bill if he had a mustache phase. This is not a phase. No, I know. This you, is who I am. You're you're gearing up for for umpiring season, and and much like State Patrol, there's there's more fear with State Patrol folks that pull you over when you have a mustache. If they have a mustache, just like the guy behind the plate, if he's got a mustache, you don't want to jack with exactly, him. Exactly, exactly. It's an authoritative take. Bill, Especially if he's packing heat. For oh, sure. And, and, I, and I pray that Elijah's not doing that when he goes to the ballpark. <laughs> In the waistband? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you're going to argue with my balls and strikes, are you? <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. Uh-huh. There we have it. Bill, what did they get your reaction, not just with the, the, the signing class, because I know you're, <laughs> you're always into recruiting, but more so just the the action by rule to to really incorporate coach Osborne and and not every coach has done that even some guys that I don't know played for him didn't didn't do that it's one thing to have him at practice uh, it's another thing to go out of his way like he did at the Outland Award dinner in Omaha to sit with him and, and break bread and I think it's very important to coach Rule, not just for looks, but I think he's pretty sincere about it. Yeah, I think it's uh, just another one of the, the great steps that he has made. And and I think by now, for what we've seen and read about Matt Rule, I, I, there, there's no reason to believe that he's not being genuine in his reverence for, for Coach Osborne. And I think that's really important uh, for people around Nebraska to see that. But, you know, I think that we had hoped that we were going to see that when the four-year case of the flu took over and brought in Bill, Bill Callahan. And, you know, I asked that question of Bill Callahan at a press conference, you know, how much will, you know, Coach Osborne be, in, be involved? And he said, oh, yeah, we'll talk to him. Well, <laughs> when? You know, uh, when we get around to it, when we get to the O's in the phone book, I guess, um, you know, so, uh, but I genuinely think that there is a reverence for Matt Rule. He understands the history of Nebraska football very well. He understands, and, you know, and to, to a certain extent, you know, here's a guy who grew up uh, around and played for Joe Paterno. And at that time, Tom Osborne and Joe Paterno were, you know, icons in college football. They were the, you know, today it's Sweeney and Saban. And uh, there's probably a couple out there, you know, that are, that are, that are major legends in the, in the, in the game. I'm not going to put Lincoln Riley in that class just yet, but if you go back into the, the seventies and the eighties and the, and the nineties, you know, forget, forgetting it, putting aside the, the demise of Joe Paterno, but he was, Tom was, Bobby Bowden, Bear Bryant, you know, for 20 years, they were the, uh, they were the icons of the game. And I think Matt Rule respects that. And maybe because he was so closely tied to Paterno that he understood Tom's place in that. And now to be side by side with Tom Osborne and holding the same position that he held, you know, I, I, it's just another great card that Matt Rule has played. You go from having dinner with him to now he's going to be the feature with the coaches clinic. I mean, that's yeah, not, you know, that's not been, there's been a hundred coaches since T.O. retired. And this is the first time he's going to be speaking at a clinic. Yeah, and what that's what I think is, you know, really significant about that. I, and I think the turnout would be great, but I think it's going to be even greater. You know, look, you know, coach Osborne's in his mid eighties now. 
and it has just meant so much to so many people for so long that I think you're going to have a, a tremendous turnout that is keenly in tune to what he has to say, um, because how many more times will they have that opportunity to do so? I, you know, I kind of liken, liken it a little bit when I heard Rule talking about that, you know, to, you know, those legendary rockers who go around for one final concert and you just got to be there because it might be the last time that they're on stage. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for a football coach, whether they have been in the business for decades or just a couple of years, I think that, you know, people will benefit and can say, you know what? I heard Tom Osborne, and I think it's meaningful. Bill, really quick, if there was actually a, like a, a legendary rock band going around in their final tour, like what's the one that you have to you have to make a stop on the tour? What's what band is it? What rocker? Uh, I mean, like right now? Like yeah, yeah, like. Uh, well, because it, well, it can't be Kiss because they're on their tenth final tour. Motley Crue's on their third final tour. Uh, you know. I would love to have seen a final tour of Queen with Freddie Mercury. Okay, I mean that would have been that would have been a great final one. But n nobody does their final concert anymore. No, come on. I, you know, Van Morrison. You Van Morrison, without a doubt. There that, it is. That'll there. never top. But you saw him in Dublin, though. Like that won't be topped, yeah. will it? I mean, seeing him, seeing him no. in Dublin's. Unless I it. see him over there again. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. man. Who I'd who I'd pick. You know, if Skid Row could get Sebastian Bach back in the fold, I, you know, I mean, anybody from the 80s is going to go to that one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, it's, it's kind Give of impossible. what but, they want. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of impossible with the, with the whole Cobain thing, but Nirvana. Nirvana would be great when if, like, they got the crew back together. I guess I'm gonna, I, I would love to see Pearl Jam again. I saw him. It's mm -hmm. almost been nine years. That's crazy. Uh, nine years since they've been here. Yeah, PBA. Uh, Bill, let's talk basketball here and Fred Hoiberg in, in Nebraska. And Nebraska had a, a, an 0 for two week. They get Penn State on Sunday. And the discussion point, and I know you guys touched on this, uh, Elijah, with the no block, no rock pod, but you've got re at reality, that's wins and losses. The numbers that are, are the numbers for Fred. But then you have all right, what it looks like now. And, yeah, they've been throwing the ball away. But they've been competitive. And it sounds like they're going to keep fighting despite being depleted. From a momentum standpoint, big picture. I know basketball's individual uh, as a sport. But if you're Trav, do you, do you stop the good feels? And do you just put up with... Uh, a, a tough season under bad circumstances due to injury or do you just say look I, I can't see this anymore working out we got to make a move what let, let's talk about here the the momentum that's going on in the program despite you know, the losses I, I, don't, I don't think you can uh, I, I make a move you, you you went through last year you made an arrangement Fred reinvented his team um, changed his philosophy, dusted off the Moaiba playbook, you know, dropped down below 75 points per game and, and played tough defense. And, you know, Nebraska was a team after they, you know, kicked uh, Creighton in the nether regions and, and gut punched <laughs> Iowa. Everybody's feeling good about that team, right? And they're doing what they were asked to do. And I, I go back to what we talked about, you know, last week when, when they beat Creighton, Trev had that moment where he brought two players into his office and gave them black shirts. And there were probably more that deserved it, but he gave them to 
to Jawan Gary and Emmanuel Bandamel. And who are the two of the best defensive players, not just at Nebraska and the Big Ten, but in the country? I think it was was Bandamel like in the top thirty and like every defensive stat that they keep these days. You know, he's one of the best defensive players in the country, and he's out. And then Gary's out, and now you're playing a bunch of freshmen again, and you're asking, you know, Sam Greasel and Derek Walker to 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 carry that team, and everybody knows it. So. I, you know, the losing those two guys was incredibly detrimental. And a month ago, we're talking about if Nebraska goes seven and five down the stretch, they probably play themselves into an NIT bid if they can go above 500 in conference play. And then those injuries happen one and then another. And, and I think, I think one that's, you know, Fred did what he was asked to do and he had done a very good job until the injuries took effect. Secondly, on the other side of it, Nebraska is coming off of an arduous, exhausting football coaching search. And you've hired a guy that everybody, not just a guy, but his entire staff, uh, that everybody just seems to have embraced. And they seem to have embraced everybody. So why... Why why go through another search? Why go through the process? Create a little controversy. Right now, things are things are going in the right direction for the Nebraska athletic department as a whole, and uh, I think let's let's just be happy that that search went really well, so it seems, and let's keep that vibe going for the whole culture, and not do it again. Even though there won't be the, near the intensity if there was a basketball hire, but let's just let's just stick with it. And let those young players develop. Ramil Lloyd comes in as a point guard next year, and maybe those guys come back healthy and ready to go, and you do it all again, and maybe the shots will fall the right way. Well, Bill, do you think that that Husker Nation will get behind Fred for another year? I mean, part of this you have to evaluate is, are these season ticket holders going to, you know, uh, go get season tickets again next year? Is Nebraska going to be able to sell seats to Pinnacle Bank Arena? It's a huge arena. And if the results aren't there, the fans going to want to show up. I think that's a question that has to be taken into account here. So do you think the fans will get behind Hoiberg for another year, or do you think they're tired of it? Well, especially I think they will, especially if you put some Guinness taps in that building now. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Booze that, is uh, the you know, answer. <laughs> You might get a few more people in the seats, you know. Now, look, I, I think people were behind that team the way they were playing. You know, it wasn't a seventy-five point, uh, seventy-five to eighty-five point per night team, right? People loved the way they were playing, and that was a sixty to sixty-five point per night team. Now they they put eighty-five on the board against Iowa, and they loved that. People loved what they did against Creighton, and and people were coming in, and they were excited to watch them play. I I do I think people understand, they're smart enough to understand that you know those injuries were significant, and if football goes well next fall, they'll carry that feel good vibe into basketball season, and then the pressure will probably really be on. But you know, Fred, they, he he did what he was asked to do. He put a team that was competitive, a team that fought hard, a team that people liked to watch to play until the injuries came in. And things changed really, really dramatically. I, I think people will get behind him again. Fred's not embarrassing anybody. In any, not that he's embarrassing himself as a coach. I'm not. He's not doing anything dumb on the outside where you're going, oh, nah, now what's in the paper, you know? He's an honorable man. And he, I think he's done an honorable job and did what was asked of him and just had some really bad breaks or tears and sprains, mm. as the case might be. Bill, got about uh, two minutes. You spent a lot of time in the NBA, covering the NBA, and going to go here. What's your take on Kyrie Irving uh, asking the Nets to 
Send him away. Lakers, Mavs, Suns, great talent, big-time headache. Well, wherever he goes, he's going to be a big-time headache. But, you know, the teams that need to win, the Lakers need to win. They're out, they're on the outside of looking on the playoff picture. But uh, he's not just a uh, – he's, he's, he's a different kind of headache, isn't he? He's not a, he's not necessarily a malcontent, you know, bad dude. He's just got some alternative thoughts that, you know, that might have people scratching their head in the locker room as a, you know, they don't want, they're, they're not going to avoid him because he's a jerk. They're going to avoid him because I, I, I just can't get into the conversations as to where you want to go. All right. Um, but he's a great basketball player, and he still is a great basketball player. And if somebody's going to make a playoff run and they let him go, look, it's 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 pro basketball, and it's just a couple of months. You know, we're talking March, April, May, June. It maybe it's maybe it's a gamble worth taking. You know, if he gets him to do what he wants, yeah. I just Why wonder. I, mean, I I wonder how KD responds, right? Because you got. Him and Kyrie, and, and to be honest, to be Kyrie's teammate can be good and terrible. Like on the nights that it's clicking, you got you got elite help and a guy that's going to be able to get his own points, but also distribute. But now, if you're KD, um, and you're trying to come back from injury. Do you uh, do you say, all right, send me Russ. Let's try and recreate 2012 again. I mean, if you're the Lakers, you know, you're trying to ship you know, Russ out for yeah. for a long time. The whole super team thing didn't work when KD wanted to build his own. You know, it's worked out pretty well when LeBron wants to build his own. Or, you know, when KD joined Golden State, State, you know, that worked out well. But when he said, I want to get my own own, uh, guys together, (laughs) excuse me, it didn't work out so well. You know, look, and one thing about the NBA, too, if they bring him on board, it's not as though all those guys are hanging. No, right. no, they, they show up thing. at the arena in their limo. They leave in their limo or their Range Rover. It's not as you know. What's the old line about the Yankees when Alex Rodriguez played? That it was you know one plane and twenty five limos. <laughs> so it, it's not like it's not like college basketball where you are all together all the time, right? I mean, you you bring him in, you're only playing with him a few hours a day. Billy D, we'll see you this weekend. Thanks for the time, bud. Okay, go big red. See you guys. <laughs> Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity, and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. And now, and now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. Brady Oltman's HailVarsity.com and Magazine is in his office. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Well, rule may not exhale, but... You can exhale for just a, a half second, Brady. Uh, great coverage on signing day 2023 uh, this week from you and the crew at HaleVarsity.com uh, and Magazine. So what's next, man? What's next for you? And let's gear up for uh, it should be pretty entertaining spring season for Nebraska football. 
Yeah, yeah. Immediately, there's still um, a couple of all-star games. East-West Shrine, Oshan and Travis Vokal have played in. Trey Palmer will be in the Senior Bowl tomorrow, uh, keeping an eye on them. And a lot of a lot of meeting, a lot of, you know, getting to meet this staff, those who are still around in February, and then writing about um, kind of positional breakdowns, how things have shaken out, what this new signing period does, who's looking where, and what each position looks like kind of as we build up into – um, into a busier March once kind of, I guess, the staff and the 2024 recruiting class kind of starts to fall together a little bit more. And then the work never truly ends. So we'll just keep plugging away. Well, your takeaway with signing day and uh, the the additions Nebraska got and, and overall, what you think of the number? I mean, I thought Coach Rule laid it out pretty good earlier this week at signing day. Just they guys have an opportunity is is this a fit for them and are they a fit for us but the the clean slate theme i think is going to be pretty true yeah i I think he's kind of following a blueprint that was kind of laid forward by lincoln riley at usc um and i can't think of kind of schools have adopted since then uh because ncaa rules have kind of relaxed a little bit where how you get to 85 kind of doesn't matter as much as you're at 85 and keep in mind a lot of the uh, 103 now, I think, from Nebraska scholarship count. A lot of those guys hadn't really seen the field or seen significant playing time, I should say, in their time in Nebraska. So Rule wanted to bring in guys uh, through the transfer portal or even just straight, you know, junior college, high school guys into this recruiting class who he thinks could be a potential impact player in Nebraska. Maybe not right away, but down the line, they, they, he sees some development there. Um, having said that, it's it's a big class now and they want to prove who belongs at Nebraska, who fits his vision, who, who is willing to grind and, and be part of that standard and that greater work ethic that he aspires to instill here at Nebraska. Um, now some might leave on their own. Some might declare the transfer portal because they don't see a, a future in Matt rules vision, which I think is, is understandable and believable by most parts. I mean, kid wants to go play somewhere let him go play somewhere and i think the rural coaching staff is more than amenable to help them find a place like that um so i think that's really what we're going to see in winter workouts and then in the spring camp is it's going trev albert said in his um his monthly radio show it's going to be football and i think he meant it's going to be like a real football because these guys are going to be playing for spots you know like not just the spring game but in spring practice these guys will be putting pedal to the metal because they know that they they might not really have a locker left for him, you know, after that. Brady Oltmans is with us here. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And Brady, as we move forward, what is the metric you're going to use to evaluate the success of, of this recruiting class? Matt will put it together pretty quickly. So I think uh, at least I'm expecting a little bit of attrition from this recruiting class. I'm not sure if if uh, attrition is going to be the, the metric I'm going to use to determine the success of this. But what, what metric are you going to be using to determine how successful this recruiting class was? Well, it's an interesting question because I think a lot of the attrition that we see now, or at least common now in college football, is a lot of the guys, the immediate transfers, the four or five stars who don't get to see the field right away. And I think a lot of that is uh, a lot of these guys are studs, and they're studs from 12 years old, and they have never seen the bench since the fifth grade. And they think that they buy into, I can develop, I can be a bench player, role player. But then by October, November, they're like, when's my time going to come around? And they realize they don't like it as much or they're not as okay with it as much as they thought they were going to be. And then they end up leaving somewhere. I think Matt Rule's coaching staff has conveyed it to recruits and part of this 2023 coach or recruiting class, I should say, that that's their plan. 
you know, they want to sell guys on the plan. They're not saying, oh, yeah, come on in, you'll play right away, and then pull the rug out from under them, and then they, you know, kind of get soured by it. Um, I think a lot of those transfers, like the the Eric Gilberts, um, MJ Shermans, maybe even, you know, Corey Collier, those guys might play right away. Some of those, your plug-and-play transfer guys, Ben Scott's of the world, you know, these the guys that they get in are primed to go into positions of need and work. Whereas a lot of the the 18 year olds or high school seniors that come in right away are a little bit more of a developmental project, especially on the lines for them. So it's going to be kind of tough to gauge what success looks like. But if they get a couple of guys that can step in, maybe even a couple of those younger guys fill in spots later down the road, maybe give you a few good snaps on special teams or something. I think the coaching staff will probably feel pretty good about that. The coaching staff to me will make it pretty clear the why, right? The, the, listen, we don't think you're ready or why don't you take some time to develop and maybe if you get some kids that are more mature, they'll see it themselves versus the the point you laid out where if you're used to having it one way because you've been the best dude on the field or even in your city, it's a whole different ball game. So it'll be uh, it'll be important to get guys that, that truly embrace competition and then can deal with, all right, not being the guy right away, but but trusting in uh, they'll get me to where I need to go, finish line wise, and and I'll see the field eventually. I mean, it comes back to you know the personalities they're recruiting, Brady. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the things Matt Rule kind of said when he was introduced was um, he's his first meeting with the with the team was going to be you didn't choose me, I chose you. You know, a lot of you guys, none of none of them were recruited by Rule at that point. Uh, so if any of them wanted out or wanted to didn't see themselves in his um, his scheme, his vision of the program, any of the workouts, if none of that really vibed with them, nobody would blame them if they wanted out. And I think everybody wants to give it a shot because everybody thinks they can play, be a ball player and play at a high level. Some just realistically aren't going to fit that scheme because Rule likes his speed guys on the outside. He likes to develop big, girthy, physical guys on the line. And some, just frankly, just aren't going to be able to adapt and suit in well with the strength and conditioning workouts because the way Corey Campbell does things is a little bit different than the last guy. You know, each guy kind of has their own specialties, their own workouts, their own drills that other pe- other guys are going to shine from. And inherently, other guys aren't going to stand it out as much from. So it's it's going to be a because all of these guys are handpicked by Matt Rule, it's going to give him a really good chance to pinpoint guys that he likes and guys who will fit well to play right away. Brady, whenever you talk about guys playing right away, what do you think a healthy number of, of freshmen getting you know roles in the team next year? Might not be starting uh, on the offense or the defense, but what do you think would be a, a healthy number of freshmen that we'll see on the field in some capacity next year? Um, outside of four games, because um, I think that they'll probably want most, the vast majority of them to redshirt next year. Outside of four games, I think really only – two come to mind um and that would be prince will mom yellen and malachi coleman um and even malachi come and go with just because of the sheer size of the receivers room i mean that's a that's a pretty competitive group there and if not malachi i'd probably say riley van poppel maybe he's got a, a drive in him that's really that's really good to see i think he could potentially see some field there but prince will i mean it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that front seven on the on the defense but I mean, he's just physically built. Like you get him a little bit of college experience, he might be like a 
I almost hate to make the comparison, but he's almost like an Ernest Houseman way of like, you, you, you know, you throw him in college football a little bit, he might kind of sink a little bit, but next thing you know, he's up paddling on his own and tracking down a Michigan quarterback for a sack, you know? So it's, it's, those are the two, maybe two and a half that kind of stand out. But I, I would, I would say most of the freshmen will probably redshirt in some capacity. I'm interested in seeing fields, the linebacker where, yeah where he makes his progress and if, you know, through four games, uh, assuming everything goes well and, and he's big and strong and fast enough to play and, and they kind of raved about him back in December. You know, I look at the scholarship breakdown and Brady has a good story, UphailVarsity.com, post-signing day. You look at the, 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 the scholarship breakdown right now, nine linebackers, that seems all right, but Okay, you've got two that have been here for 100 years, bless their heart. And then you've got five you haven't seen a lot of. You have six quarterbacks. What's the ideal number? Four? Is that typical? Is six excessive? Six running backs? They want one more O-lineman to get to that 16 number. They're at 15. 12 D-lineman, four edge. That seems low. But, again, you're going to mix and match with talent and, and what you're good at to to maybe get off the edge. Uh, so that edge slash nickel makes the move up to eight, mm-hmm. right? And then 19 defensive backs. Brady, how's your leg? They just have one punter. <laughs> well, I don't – I've got some eligibility left, but I don't know if you're going to want to use it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> See, it was directional, it, it, I promise. Well, <laughs> <laughs> The numbers speak to competition. That's what they want. They want to put guys together and see, you know, who cuts it, who's got the medal, and who doesn't. Uh, like I said, the, the the front seven one is really interesting to me, just because in that the three three five defense or the the hybrid defense, the things that they want to do. I mean, we heard from Terrence Knight and kind of said, "Good luck. You're going to lose sleep trying to scheme over it because you don't know who's lining up over what and what your responsibilities are going to be." And keep in mind, this coaching staff hasn't really had time to really get together and think of getting on the same page in terms of scheme yet. Cause most of them are just, you know, getting their recruiting wheels off, but the three, three, five inherently gives you a chance where your big uglies up front, your interior defensive linemen, it, it allows you to work with less of them and operate more of your lateral speed guys. And to your point about Eric Fields, I think he could be incredibly talented in that role on the ex- exterior at the linebacker. I'm curious to see what the adjustment to college from Ardmore, Oklahoma is for him, but if he can adapt to that, well, they've got, plenty of guys in that spot uh even a chief borders that can adjust to the speed and come up from a special teams role that he had at florida and really fill that defensive spot at nebraska these these are spots that you get a guy with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and some speed especially laterally and agility to move in that defense i mean that dog will hunt for me you know you see that on the field that's that's kind of what you're looking for brady last thought here about a minute to, to flip it around to the offensive side of the ball which position battle you gonna be most excited to watch this spring Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I'd almost say running back because I think Anthony Grant's got it. You know, he's pretty well situated, but they really like a lot of that. You know, AJ and, and even Emmett Johnson, both of those guys have shown out. Uh, I the, the the line is interesting to me because of the new additions. Um, how do you kind of shift around the guys that have been at Nebraska and who fits in where and what scheme? You know, you kind of have an idea of how they're looking like, but and, and just – the growth. How, how how much better and how much growth does that offensive line look like in 2023? Uh, read him with HaleVarsity.com and magazine. Follow him at Brady Altman's on 
Twitter and can subscribe. HaleVarsity.com backslash offer is where you go to get the digital and magazine. Brady, have a weekend, and uh, we'll be able to talk some ball next week with some Super Bowl. Thanks for the time, bud. Appreciate you guys. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio. Burke's Best Bets, VEASAN Sports Network with Danny Burke. Of course, Danny will be covering the weekends with VEASAN. Find him on Twitter at DannyBurke5. And uh, as always, the Danny Burke Podcast. Pride of Chicago, are you hard at work finding those perfect uh, in-game options? And uh, obviously covering all the analysis of the prop bets because there's, oh man, there's some winners. You've got them uh, circled, don't you? <laughs> we're we're trying to get there early on. There's still uh, mountains to get through, and luckily we have two weeks to kind of decipher all of them. So I've I've only really gone through a handful of them up to this point, or just focusing in on the actual game itself. But I have nitpicked a few here and there. But then this upcoming week, we'll certainly be going uh, head on fully into all the props and kind of just seeing where the numbers adjust to. So uh, even though it's you know you get the weekend off, still exciting to kind of sort through all of them. Could be stressful, but, uh, you know, quality over quantity is the goal. What do you think of the matchup? I mean, is this going to be a situation where it's going to be a, a a great ball game, but but you'll be able to find some value? Yeah, it's you're not fully confident in a play pre-flop, and we preach this a lot when we talk, right? And I think it you could kind of almost correlate it to what we saw in the AFC Championship game with the Chiefs and the Bengals because if you recall, my strategy was waiting for the in-game number because I wasn't completely sure of what to expect out of Patrick Mahomes and his ankle. You probably assumed that the first couple of sequences he was going to be fine because they did whatever they did to his ankle and the adrenaline going, and that was the case. And then they finally got to him. But what that allowed you to get was a way better in-game opportunity on Cincinnati. So I was able to get, like, the Bengals plus seven in the hook, the Bengals plus three in the hook, because even though they were down by ten, you figured they'd make adjustments. They were consistently the best second-half team in the league, and that's what ended up happening, right? They covered both numbers. So this is reminiscent of that in the sense of what the spread is pre-flop and how volatile these markets and teams in general may be. So if you're not fully convinced already, you could just wait and try to attack from an in-game standpoint that way. You don't have to force yourself into a bet immediately, which is always a misconception in general, but especially with the Super Bowl, if you're around people who've got like 10 bets going at once, that's why we say quality over quantity. You don't need action nonstop, and you're probably going to find it either way just because of, you know, you'll be involved in squares or betting with a friend or, you know, doing some kind of novelty prop, but... Yeah, I don't think there's any rush to make a bet uh, that's clear-cut. You can obviously make arguments for both sides here. And, look, I, I certainly lean a little bit more one way versus the other, but I haven't bet anything yet with it. Danny, uh, how about the national anthem? Is that something you're looking to bet right now? The line's already been going up. I've, I've been following that one. That's probably my favorite Super Bowl bet every single year. And it's a line that opened at about a minute and 59 seconds. It's now up over two minutes at uh, two minutes and five seconds with Chris Stapleton being announced as the uh, the singer. I mean, that seems like something you got to lock in now because that line may continue to rise. Chris Stapleton, uh, a country artist, you know. Soulful. You know he's going you know, to hold those long notes, <laughs> going to hold a high note somewhere in there. Like, I don't know. I, I think that might be one of the bets I think it's good to get in now. That one's always funny because you always see the immediate line movement going toward the over, especially as we get closer and they do the sound check, then, like, the information gets leaked. But 
I mean, those props are fun to do, but they always limit you on them to like 50 bucks at most. So you can't really go too crazy because you already got that inside information. But I think you make a good point, right? He's got the soul in him. He's going to, you know, stretch it out as long as possible. And if he's a man of the people, he knows that uh, the common Joe is going to be betting the over. So I'm sure he'll try to stretch that out as long as possible. But, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll trust your inside sources on that one, Elijah. I'm waiting to get the confirmation from you. Danny, some, some props you're, you're looking at right now, either first to score a touchdown, individual rushing numbers. What's on your radar? Yeah, I've bet one prop so far, and it's with Isaiah Pacheco. And it, it kind of stood out to me because he really got involved in the passing game last week where that has not been the case the entire season. But last week he had five catches for, I think, maybe 40-something receiving yards. But I, I think the same could be utilized out of him in terms of the passing effort because you're going up against arguably the best pass defense in Philadelphia. You have still probably a hobbled Patrick Mahomes, and the Eagles have a great pass rush. So if the secondary is doing their job limiting those guys, deep, the pressure is coming on Mahomes pretty quickly. He's not able to improvise and scramble as much, which does create separation for his receivers. Well, then he's going to have to throw to the safe, short, secure route, which is the dump off for the check down with the checko, and that's kind of – what they utilized with him against the Bengals. So I think you'll be able to get maybe around like 15 to 20 receiving yards with him there because even though he didn't get a lot this season, he still made the most of it, getting about 10 yards per catch. And then on the ground effort, he averaged about 50 rushing yards per game. And the weakest part of Philadelphia's run or defense is the run defense. They allow about 4.7 yards per rush attempt. And over the last three games, that number has risen to five. And that's the philosophy of how to beat Philadelphia. you got to control time of possession. you got to keep their offense off the field and then put the pressure on Hurts and company, much like the commanders did. I mean, they completely dominated the ground effort. That's how they ended up winning. Now, Kansas City doesn't have the best running offense themselves, but you got to figure that's got to be part of their strategy throughout the majority of the beginning stages of this game. So I think they're going to try to set that up both on the ground attack with Pacheco, who gets the majority of snaps compared to McKinnon, and then in the passing game when they need those short routes. So I bet him over 63.5 rush and receiving combined. I know the numbers as high as 68.5. If you look around, I know some books have 64.5. So if you get to 64, I'd still play it. If it's as high as 68.5, I'd maybe just flirt with the rushing yards if you get it under 50 instead. That would probably be the best way to go about it. Danny, I remember your advice from last year on, on Super Bowl MVP. That was to pick the team you think is going to win and just take their quarterback, whether it be Joe Burrow or, or Matt Stafford. And I want to get your take on this season. Is that a good direction to go yet again this year? Or do you think maybe uh, it's going to be a non-quarterback winning the MVP award this year? Well, here's the thing. If you want to do the correlation with Kansas City, it's realistically going to be Patrick Mahomes. Regardless, I mean, the only other guy you'd really make an argument for would be Travis Kelsey, but when his stats get padded, naturally so do Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, you know, one-for-one type of situation, and you already have the narrative with Mahomes for regular season MVP and for the fact that he has his busted ankle. So if he's able to overcome that, he's going to get the nod more often than not. If you want to go outside of that and you like the Eagles, that would be your chance to go somewhere else because – the Eagles, if they don't have to force Hurts to throw it consistently, they won't do that. Like They want to get the ground-and-pound effort going and establish the dominance on that ground attack like they did against the 49ers and the Giants. But then the issue becomes, all right, well, which running back is going to get a majority of the workload? Because you had, what, Boston Scott, you had, uh, who was a Gainwell, and then obviously Sanders. Like They all kind of go by committee. You would think Sanders would be the most obvious guy because he usually gets the most reps, but does that mean he's going to get red zone reps? 
or does that mean he's just going to get the most handoffs? So it's kind of a tough correlation in that regard. And then again, with the Eagles, like with the receivers, it could be any of them, and you would imagine A.J. Brown would have the best chance. But if his stats get padded, Hurts' stats get padded. And maybe because you imagine he's going to finish second into Mahomes for the regular season voting, and some people thought he would win if he didn't get injured, maybe that will give him the nod to some of these voters. Uh, people are thinking Reddick's a hot choice because he had one good game. Look, I, I wouldn't jump into that realistically because not only the chances he replicates that are slim to none, but the odds have drastically changed because he's the hot topic of who to bet on. But also one thing to remember, these votes get sent in like three, four minutes before the game ends. Aaron Donald, I had like 18-1, to 1, and he should have been the MVP. And like two of his biggest plays and like two of the biggest plays in the game occurred in those last two minutes where he had big stacks. But the votes were already established, so they couldn't even give it to him. So you got to keep that in mind as well. And she may get shafted because those votes get put in before the game even ends. Danny Burke with his Burke's Best Bets. Danny, will catch up again next week and have more of the Super Bowl props and get your take on the ball game, the line, the over-under. Danny, thanks for the time today. Hey, you got it, fellas. Stay warm. I'll talk to you next week. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Well, I'm glad we checked in with Bill Dolman on Kyrie Irving. Charles Barkley just went scorched earth on Kyrie Irving with... Tony Kornheiser can't be counted on on any team, man. But uh, Chuck's uh, one one of a kind, man. Tomorrow morning, weekend edition, 7 to 9, Hale Varsity Radio. Myself, Elijah Herbal, the one and only Mark Cranach. The week that's been, we'll hit that, probably talk some more recruiting. Rewind will feature Amir Abdullah, and uh, we'll get ready for Super Week. Next week, as uh, we gear up for the Super Bowl, and uh, plenty to get into there. There's a lot of good basketball tomorrow. Kansas is at Iowa State, uh, specifically. Uh, that is good. Indiana host hopes to knock off their hated in-state rival, Indiana. Indiana hosting Purdue. Uh, you've got Gonzaga and St. Mary's tomorrow. That's big time. Gonzaga's faded a little bit. That's okay, though. Auburn's at Tennessee. The probation tip-off championship challenge. Is that what we call it? (laughs) Uh, Texas is at Kansas State. And you've got, uh, that's about it. Not really any great Pac-12 matchups. But KU, man, they uh, they had a little payback on their mind this week with with K-State in... uh, in action. So. I think I might throw some ribs on the smoker tomorrow. We'll, we'll Are you going to do that. ribs tomorrow? I think tomorrow's the day where you get the test recipe in before the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like the, sure. the recipe where you, you want to make sure everything's perfect for the Super Bowl. I've only done ribs probably once in the past year, so make sure you get that recipe locked in, get it smoked up, and see how it turns out. Are you, uh, how much are you reliant on sauce? Not very much. Because you're more of a dry rub and then maybe glaze a little sauce. So what I've actually um, been doing a little bit more is going more of a Memphis style where you go the mop sauce while it's smoking. Less of a a true barbecue sauce, more of like a a vinegar base. And uh, you mop it with that and then that kind of locks in the flavor. And then 
as you said, just caramelize it with sauce at the end. You going St. Louis style or you going baby back? Yet to decide. I, I think the rack I have at home is St. Louis, but I think baby back might Those be. Those are huge and thick. It's like thing. your Fred Flintstone. I think baby back might be the way to go for the Super Bowl. So then I have to go, do I, do I go get myself a whole new rack of baby back ribs just to test that out? I think you do. I, th- I think from a. I think from a, you go baby back, and what you do, you you know, to coat with yellow mustard. Yes, that's your binder. Yes. Then you rub and sit on there and pour a crown or seven and, and let it smoke. And uh, I did a pork butt about a month ago, and I have a uh, a jalapeno mustard. Ooh. That I, that I used on that, and that actually turned out phenomenal. Where it's, it's it doesn't bring out that much flavor whenever you just use it to bind the uh, the dry rub mm-hmm. but it gave it a little bit of something something i liked i think i'm gonna try that on the ribs too i've been on a overdose of pork tenderloin because i did two last sunday i didn't finish them but i found me a, a pork tenderloin with teriyaki and then the rub i gotta shoot you a, a screenshot i'll talk to you tomorrow morning about it but there's the rub that I, I don't know if it would work on, I think it'll work on anything, but it works on the pork tenderloin that I got to send you. It's a Traeger rub. It's Traeger. See, I've been using a couple of the Meat Church mm-hmm. barbecue rubs, and yeah. I've been uh, liking those a lot. And I also love Bad Byron's butt rub. That's the classic. That is good. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the weather. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning with a weekend edition. It's Hail Varsity. We're presented by Currency. Thanks. A Huda Media Production.